Each week, always be watching ghosts spelunking into the depths of our viewing to surface the most interesting TV and movies that have made their way in front of our eyeballs. This week, we're chatting about the new HBO murder mystery, The Outsider, Netflix comedy special, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, indie smash hit, Jojo Rabbit, and we offer some thoughts on a little film called Star Wars Skywalking Rises. Did I get that name right? <laughs> it's close uh, enough. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we'll be back in a tick. No clicking. Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. My name is Dan Barrett and I'm joined as always by Chris Yates. Hi Dan. Dude, 2020. It's a big year, big, big numbers. Big question. Did you think you'd live this long? No, not at all. I didn't think you'd live this long. I was counting on not living this long. My finances <laughs> are a mess. Everything's gone horribly wrong. But anyway, we'll get through. Look, I mean, your finances might be, I think the term is in the crapper. Yes, yes. But, like, look at the world around us. Everything's gone fine, Chris. I know. Everything's great. The world is basically a beautiful paradise. Yeah. Blue skies. <laughs> Blue skies abound in this beautiful, mild summer. Ooh. Mm. Now, Chris, I... Because occasionally I do a little bit of radio here and there. I've heard about this. Now, I popped into a radio studio the other day, and I was talking to a microphone, and I was struggling to get through what was just an eight-minute segment. I was like, like maybe five seconds in, and I could feel my throat just giving out entirely. So I was trying to talk to uh, Brisbane radio host Kelly Higgins-Divine. How's that for a big name drop, people? Very big name drop. I was talking to Kelly, and like, just she's like, oh, you know, talking to Dan about Golden Globes, and I'm like, oh, hey, Kelly, and then suddenly, like, my voice just went, and I'm just trying to like think and like talk, and it just wasn't happening, and it's because all the smoke in the air. It is disgusting. And um, if, it ke- if it keeps getting this bad, the future of radio it's just done with. <laughs> I don't know true. how professionals are actually doing it right now. No, it's really, it's it's really well. They're all on break, aren't they? It's all the um, yeah, uh, all the all the big names are um. Oh, actually, that's are not true. Summer holidays, because no? some of the big names came back because you've got all the fire disaster that's happening. Oh in yes, Australia. of course, yes, that's yeah. right. They're back to talk about the smoke in the smoke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, but the upside, Dan. There's always an upside. There's always a silver lining. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sorry, where is the silver lining? <laughs> it's been heaps of time to stay at home watching TV and what would normally be a very social, out there kind of time to you know visit your friends and. Uh, sit by the water and have a picnic. Can't do any of that. Let's just watch some TV. Look, I mean, that is definitely a silver lining. I'll give you that. Yeah. So, Chris, it's that magical time of the year where you actually left your couch yep. and you went to see the Motion Picture Palace. I did. It's the one in... Uh... <laughs> did you see a talkie? I went to the movies. I went and saw a talkie. That's this new kind of film. They've got the words coming out of the speakers at the same time that people are saying it. It's amazing. Doesn't that get confusing with the guy at the front of the harpsichord? It does a little confusing. But, you know, luckily it was a good harpsichord player. Mm. Um, No, it's true. uh, You're making fun of me because I don't go to the movies very often. But I have been a few times recently. Okay, what what have you seen? You're going to talk about two movies from the Motion Picture House today. How rare is that? I've got two movies to discuss. The first one is a little film called Jojo Rabbit. Hey, Jojo, my old friend. Hi, Adolf. What's wrong, little man? They call me a scared rabbit. Jojo Rabbit! Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. Okay, Chris, Jojo Rabbit, I'm hearing some very mixed things on. In that, I don't think there's anyone who dislikes the movie... But I think that there is definitely a sense where your everyday punter who's gone to the movies to see it has generally quite enjoyed it. 
Whereas a lot of critics have looked at it and said, hey, look, it's good, but dot, dot, dot. And at that point, I've stopped paying a lot of attention because I haven't seen the movie yet and I try not to listen too much before I see something. Uh, I don't listen to anything at all and it's mostly out of disinterest rather than I try <laughs> to avoid that thing. But I do like to go to these things without having any kind of uh, critical... Uh, without too much critical analysis clouding the issue because I find that a lot of critics get caught up in a bit of a groupthink kind of situation where uh, they will often bend over backwards to uh, agree with each other. But um, now that I've put the entire critical... Uh, the community. community, many of which are your friends, offside. Um, <laughs> my, my friends and future guests on Always Be Watching. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, no, but you know, I think that, you know, the same thing happens with a lot of stuff. But I think that... Um, let's just... Uh, I really liked it. It was great. Okay. Now, you use the word great. <laughs> Are you just throwing that out there cavalry that you really quite liked? And it's like, yeah, it was great. No, no, or no. do you mean it is legitimately a great movie? I reckon it's a legitimately a great movie. Now, I'm a big fan of Taika Waititi's films and previous work all around the place, really. So, um, I was always going to, I think, if, if, if it had that flavor of his earlier um, independent films, I was always going to really like it, which it definitely does. Um, it really reminded me of a time, Dan, a, a long time ago when we had like a whole wealth of like little indie movie producers and they would get a decent amount of money to make a small budget film and it would be quirky and it would be charming and it would be funny and it would be serious and it would look at big issues but it would do it in a way that was fun and um, unique and somewhat original and I really feel like... So what films are you thinking of when you say that? I guess I'm harking back to the times of the, uh, of the I guess, the pre-Tarantino bursting through the massive bubble and um, we, had, we had that period where all the sort of Jim Jarmusch's and stuff kind of got co-opted into more of a mainstream thing. So I guess I'm sort of talking about that era of filmmaking in particular where they were director and auto-driven um, and they were not expected to take over the whole world and be massive blockbusters, but they still had a real place in the, you know, in the film-going kind of... Yeah, sure. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I really felt like it. it the, the first thing that it did was made me feel nostalgic for that kind of time. And I mean, that's true of his earlier films as well. Um, Boy and the... What's the one about the... the, the wil- hunt, hunt for the Wilder People. Hunt, hunt for the Wilder People. Both fantastic films. Um, and they they definitely reminded me of those kind of uh, those kind of films as well. So I feel like I feel like he really captures that sort of uh, all all the, all the lost the aspirations of those kind of films in a really in a really great way. And it's just an incredibly enjoyable film, also. So let's say that I've been living in a bubble. Yes. Okay. No, I say that as you pulled a straw out of your bubble tea over there. <laughs> Sorry. Let's say I've been living in a bubble. And I don't know anything about what this Jojo Rabbit is. What's it about, Chris? Right. Well, it's about uh, a young no, boy. fail. It's about two hours. It's about two hours. Oh, oh. Sorry, Dad. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Okay, so it's a young boy who has uh, grown up in Nazi Germany. He's at the end. Uh, it's at the end of the war. Um, the Germans are clearly going to lose. Um, he has taken solace in an imaginary friend who is Adolf Hitler. And he is very much uh, for the for the Third Reich, and he really must, very much wants to be a part of it, and wants to um, join the Hitler Youth. And um, he just dis- how much of it do I say without? Just no, really- I think that's is that enough? I think that's probably it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. And um, and his mum uh, is a Scarlett Johansson. The ever the omnipresent Scarlett Johansson, as I would call her at the moment. You just sold me a ticket right there. <laughs> and um, and uh, she is raising him by herself, and it's very. Yeah, a lot. It goes in. Goes off in a lot of directions. Um, from here's, there. What, here's what I like about Scarlett Johansson. 
Okay, first of all, I think, you know, she's a great presence on screen. She makes pretty interesting movies here and there. If you've ever seen Under the Skin, try to find a more interesting movie than that Under the Skin. That is an amazing film. That actually turned me around on her, if that's yeah. a possible thing. No, Although, like, I was already on Team Johansson. But what I really like is any time she gives comments to the press. <laughs> I think every time she always delivers. She's, is she... Uh, uh, see, I don't pay attention. So, what, uh, what's her vibe? What's her press persona? Her press persona is, I'm going to say exactly what I'm thinking right now, and then I'm going to not bother backtracking when all the woke kids are really upset by what I've just said. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, good honour, I guess. Uh, I once I saw her in real life once. She really? She was uh, walking past me in a cafe in Amsterdam. Um, speaking of ridiculous things to say to people. Okay, I've got questions. Yeah. Uh, Can I just be the most sort of shallow, basic one of all? Yeah. Look, she's a stunning-looking lady. Is she like that in real life? She's absolutely like that in real life. Yes. My God. Uh, But anyway, we didn't believe it was her at first, and then it clearly was. What I would give to have your eyes right now. (laughs) It was a very fleeting moment, Dan. But yeah, uh, I think she was was fantastic in it. As someone who's been on the fence with her, I think she was really, really great in the film. I mean, but the kid is incredible. I don't even know what the kid's name is. Does it matter? Of course it doesn't matter. Um, But the the kid does a great performance. Probably going to get nominated for an Academy Award. I I don't know how these things work. Um, but it was, I, I mean, it's just incredible. And it's really interesting to think about the idea of, you know, well, it's certainly not the first time we've seen a comedy film made out of this kind of subject subject matter. But I really think it was done in such a, um, it really was, it really was handled in a unique way. So to take something that I think, you know, we can all agree is pretty, it's kind of like the, um, you know, you, you eventually do your Nazi film if, you, if you're a big aspiring, you know, filmmaker in America, mm. uh, especially if you're not from America, I think. Um, and especially if you're Jewish, as um, as take as Tiger is, um, then you know it's kind of like that in itself. Obviously, is not like a massive thing, but to t- to take it and do it so a massively unique thing, but to take it and do it in such an original way, I think was great. Okay, so this is a film that very much is through the eyes of a young child. Yes, that's that is his viewpoint. yeah, kind of yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So when I looked when I saw the trailer for the movie, and I didn't really pay that much attention to the trailer either. Because I try to sort of get an idea from the trailer yeah, without paying too much attention. Yeah, you can ruin it sometimes, right? Yeah. That's it. So I've actually gotten quite good at not really sort of focusing too much on exactly what's going on. There was a really good British TV show uh, starring Chris O'Dowd. And it was about him as the imaginary friend to this young... Oh, yeah, Scott, yeah. I did. yeah. No, I watched Young Irish that. boy. So like, it was kind of almost like a sort of pre-Derry Girls, Derry Girls. Okay. With, a, uh, with, a imaginary with an imaginary Irish friend. Who, but it's just yeah, like yeah. one kid. Look, I'd totally forgotten about that. But yes, it does have those vibes. So I got that vibe from it. But Mm. I also thought, well, if you're going to have Hitler as a character in this, surely... And I don't know much about the film, so I'm actually just guessing Mm, here. So mm, if I get mm. close, you know, I apologise. This isn't a spoiler. (laughs) This is me just assuming. Hypothesising. But my assumption is that the story is probably about a young boy. He's got Hitler as a best friend. It probably starts out cutesy a little bit like this sort of Irish TV show. But then as the realities of the situation around him come a bit more apparent as he grows up and sort of reaches the level of maturity that he starts to realise that maybe the Hitler character isn't really quite what it thought it was. And you start seeing the reality blur into, like, his imaginary world a little bit more. You kind of... Well, no, you... Like, that's not... That would be the obvious thing to do, but I don't really think okay. it does that, actually. It's a shame. I'd like to see that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's sort of... Um, well, obviously, there is some growth, but it's not over a very peri- long period of time, so you don't sort of... I would say there's some, there's some uh, events that happen that make... That yeah. growing up and that realisation happened quite quickly. Um, I, I think where I was trying to get to with my question 
And I didn't really phrase it as a question. It was really just <laughs> yeah. like listing I'm, things. I'm so used to it, Dad. Just continue. Uh, but what I was sort of wondering is there's obviously a number of films that play around with that sort of serious level of just horrors that was taking place within Germany and like adjoining sort of regions around the time uh, that we've seen. So I'm thinking about something like maybe say Life is Beautiful, mm. if you saw that film. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I remember that film. That, that's the film which it's set like in the death camps and mm. there's a father who's trying to make the world as pleasant and joyous for his son as possible yeah, sure. despite the fact that there's all this horror happening around him and it's really kind of a beautiful movie and there's moments of lightness and you can kind of go with it even though there's that undercurrent of you just know what's really going on and it's just it, it's torturous to wrap your mind around it is that kind of vibe going on here as well it's like well, how does it compare i would i would say that it's more set in a very it, it, it sort of does the opposite of that where it it actually keeps it very localized and keeps it very much in the small community that they're in it keeps it very much like um, the, the interesting things about that were, you know, it, it was kind of like, well, this was business as usual for for people living towards the end of Nazi Germany when it looked like it wasn't going to go the way that, the, you know, where it looked like the Nazis were going to fall over. Um, and it, it actually keeps it pretty, pretty, uh, pretty light and pretty funny, which for a while... Which at first, I mean, is really confronting because obviously, you know, yes, yeah. there are all these things happening, which, are, which, no, aren't really that addressed at all until there's a couple of, you know, there's a couple of very big moments where that, where that becomes apparent. But, but for the most part, no, it's more about the actual, you know, it's the, um, it's the coming of age of the, of the kid in this scenario and on top of having to sort of realise that he's becoming a, an, a, an adult, he also has to deal with the fact that this whole belief system and everything that he's grown up with is a, is a sham and is um, crumbling around him and he needs new heroes kind of thing. That sounds like a story we can all relate to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine that. Oh, and I mean, that's the, you know, it, it definitely looks at the, it definitely does a really good job of explaining the sort of, the, 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 the how fascism can become very much just part of, just, just the rules under which you live, you know, like, so that even, even though obviously it didn't happen that gradually there, you can see the parallels that are trying to be drawn about what's happening in, um, in, in global politics now and the rise of fascism yeah. as we see it happening. While we sit here and make our pithy comments on a pos- on a podcast and drink <laughs> our bubble teas, and drink our bubble teas while the world burns. Okay, well, Chris, I have to say I wasn't that excited about Jojo Rabbit purely because you know the critics have been sort of a little bit sort of harsh on it, and I figured I'm just going to wait for Netflix. But I don't know. After talking to you, I think I might want to check. Look, this out I reckon you'll like it. And I mean, you know, as as a film, maybe it's flawed. I didn't I didn't pay any attention to the filmmaking craft of it because I re- genuinely got caught up in the story, and the pacing was great, and the and the comedy was great, and I really felt like. Um, you know, I'm sure on, on, I'm sure on, ver- on repeated viewings, I could probably pick, find more things to be critical about, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, for, 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 I, th- I thought it was fantastic. Is this maybe a crowd pleaser? Well, I would think so, but apparently yeah. <laughs> not. If it's not really... Uh, well, the critics weren't into it, but the audience seems yeah, to be Yeah, well it, then, so. I mean, you know, it's like, it's an enjoyable, funny movie. So, you know, and it sort of, I think, speaks to people in a way that maybe they're not being spoken to heaps at the movies at the moment. And it's also, you know... It's it's a it's a um, there's there's really something to that kind of I don't know if I got that point across very well but you know this the sort of idea of a sort of it's a small movie you know it doesn't feel like a massive film it's not a massive war film it's a small movie about a few people and the stories of those very you know of like three people um, there's an amazing um, uh, guest cast as well there's heaps of fantastic you know comedy spots popping up so that always keeps it interesting as you go through so okay well i'm gonna get along to the movies and see this one i think excellent i highly recommend it dan jojo rabbit playing, playing in it, cinemas now playing in cinemas now yeah
I'm going to do the thing now where I ask you, Dan. Yes, Chris. This is an interesting one because it actually has been a couple of weeks since we've seen each other and we haven't talked about anything. So I'm I'm genuinely, for once, interested. What have you been watching? Now, Chris, I have watched and... Okay, I want to like just maybe give a bit of context for the world that we're entering with this program. Please. Do you remember back in, I'm going to say, April last year, the world was going crazy about this thing called Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. world's going crazy for it, and because it was the biggest show on the planet, it was on a premium US cable network, everyone's looking at HBO afterwards and they're saying, well, you've finished up with Game of Thrones now, you've got a prequel coming like one or two years away, what are you doing until then? Because people just aren't interested in you know, anything that isn't Game of Thrones right now. So in the last, like, since April, we've seen shows like Chernobyl, mm-hmm. which came and just, like, rocked a lot of people's worlds yes. in a way that I don't think anyone expected. And Watchmen came along and did the same. And those were, like, the two big marquee shows. Mm. Those they said goodbye to Veep and also Silicon Valley, which were two sort of really sort of prominent shows. So we're just kind of in this period of, it's not even flux right now, because it's not like, remember when The Sopranos finished, and there really just wasn't anything Sad that days. anybody was latching into on HBO? I know. And there was, well, yes, it was a, and that was a hard act to follow. Yeah. And so for a few years, like, it just felt like HBO lost in the wilderness a bit. But I think this year it's been quite different, where there were those two shows which everyone looked at that saying, hey, look, these are actually legitimately two of the best shows on television. Like, not only this year, but just over yeah, the last yeah. 10 years. Like, those are two great shows. And then people are saying, well, both of those shows are finished up now. What's next? And HBO have come along with another show that I think is completely of that level of quality of oh, Mission Noble. Here we go. And I honestly think over the next few weeks, you're going to hear people buzzing about this. I'm talking about a TV show called The Outsider. I'm as baffled by this conflicting evidence as you are. Did you kill my son, Terry? Look at me! Terry murdered a child. Everything he does after that is like he's begging us to catch him. What kind of criminal does that? He didn't do it. Chris, as you and I talk about it, The Outside hasn't premiered yet. That's why I haven't seen it. That's why you haven't seen it. Uh, This coming Monday in Australia, we'll see it, but Sunday night in the US. So, you know, within a few hours, really, of the launch. Oh, mate, why don't they fast check these things? A few hours? Why do I have to wait? I'm in Australia. God, this sucks. (laughs) I'll have to pirate it. You might have to wait three hours. (laughs) Uh, but The Outsider is based on a Stephen King novel, which I have no familiarity with whatsoever. Well, it must be a recentish Stephen King novel. I've never even heard of it. So I know that there's a TV show called Mr. Mercedes, and this is a show which is apparently based on a Stephen King novel. Uh, I think there might be a couple of novels using the same characters. Ah. But the fourth the fourth novel has a character... The, the fourth novel from that is effectively what uh, the show The Outsider is. Right. So it's part of a series connected to Mr. Mercedes to the point where one of the actors from Mr. Mercedes, and it's uh, Cynthia Ervo, if you've seen her and things. She's, mm. she's quite good. I'm, I'm a bit of a fan. Uh, so she's reprising the same character here in The Outsider. And I don't think it's actually meant to strictly be part of the same world, but it sort of is. I know, it's a bit complicated. But anyway, she's not the main character as far as the first two episodes are concerned. And I should say that episodes one and two are airing back to back, apparently. And I've only found that out after I watched the first episode, which was last night. And I thought, you know, I've got episode two. I'm just going to have a special treat and hold off till tomorrow night after I do the podcast. Wish I hadn't, because when people watch it, it will be both episodes back <laughs> yeah, to back. Right, right. So I've made a bit of a mistake there. You idiot. But I will say from the first hour, I was completely captivated. I'm totally in on this program. This is a show which, when I was watching it, I was thinking about two very specific HBO productions all the way through it. 
I was thinking about True Detective, mm-hmm. which, did you watch that? Only the first amazing season. Yeah, well, that's the season that I've watched the most of as well. Yeah. Uh, it's essentially first season of True Detective meets, there's another HBO drama called The Night Of. Which I haven't which seen. Which, it, it's also very good. Uh, those are the two shows that really came to mind uh, while I was watching it. The premise of it, you've got a, and this sounds like every TV show you've ever seen before. Uh, there's an 11-year-old boy who's been found dead in the Georgian woods. Uh, there's a, detec- a detective played by Australia's own Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, Mendo. Yeah. Uh, so Our Mendo. Sorry, mate. Our Mendo. Um, he's in charge of this investigation. He's got his own sort of tortured background where him and his wife have lost their only son a couple of years prior. Uh, he was of a similar age to this boy and their child died of cancer. Okay. So he's in a very sort of sad like, yes. place in the world. He's dealing with the death of this boy and he's investigating, seeing what's going on. But where it's maybe a little bit different to most genre things that you'd see like that is that within the first episode, you find out almost immediately who's responsible for it. Oh, wow. But it still maintains being a murder mystery because here's the catch with the show. The guy that they find responsible is this guy named Terry. And Terry's played by Jason Bateman, who also directs, I think, the first two episodes Mm. of the season. Uh, If you've seen his work as the director on Ozark, you know that Bateman as a director actually has some chops. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he pl- he's plays this guy. He's a baseball coach. He's a beloved member of the community. And he's quite clearly killed this child. So the cops realize, because I've got multiple eyewitnesses of seeing him walk around, like blood all over him. And <laughs> they saw him pick him up in his van. And yeah, like, there's right. just all sorts of stuff going on. But the catch on it is, is that when they start looking at all the security footage of him like on the evening that the murder's taken place, it almost looks like he's trying to get caught. Like he's just appearing everywhere. He's showing his face wherever he can, security cameras. Right, right. All that behavior is a little bit weird. The thing is that when he was supposedly murdering his child, he was also a few states away at a conference and there's video of him appearing at this conference. Right. So the murder mystery is that, yes, the murder's taken place, but the mystery is that this guy whose DNA is everywhere and all over it, there is eyewitnesses everywhere. There's security camera footage What's going on? Mm, I that, like it. And that I don't know because I haven't seen past first, episode one. You've only watched the first episode. But dude, I am totally in on this oh, no, program. It sounds great. I'm, yeah. um, I'm just, I just did a little bit of research. Uh, it was an, indeed a recent Stephen King book, 2018. Very recent. Yeah. Uh, which explains why I um, mightn't have heard of it. And yes, uh, similar to a, a lot of the King books that he wrote in the 80s that were all set around the... the the small town of Maine. Maine was it? The city of Maine with and because there's quite a few books that have the same character in them. The detective the, I can't remember his the, name. There's a lot of books that have similar characters that cross over, and even unconnected books have some characters. Yeah, which, so yeah. that's that's the deal here with this one too. Where yeah, you're right. The um the character Holly Gibney. So it's a, it's from a, it's a trilogy of books. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently this Holly Gibney character turns up in episode three of the series. Mm. So I haven't actually seen Cynthia Ervo in this yet, but I'm excited to do it because I think she's great. It's interesting. There's a bit of a, like, I've seen a lot of renewed interest in Stephen King's work lately, and especially people looking back on the earlier novels and treating them with a bit more gravitas than what they originally had. It made like a billion dollars at the cinema, so everyone's going, Stephen King, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, sure, I guess so. But I've read critical reappraisals of things like Cujo and Christine and all the other cocaine novels that he wrote in a flurry, and um, they're, they're really, they are really good. A few names that I just want to drop in here. So already I mentioned Australia's own Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, Jason Bateman's in it, as I mentioned. Cynthia Ervo. The other big names I mentioned is Julianne Nicholson, 
Now, she may not be a name that everybody knows, but they may know her face from, like, a number of things over the place. Um, I know her probably best from Singer and Masters of Sex. I think she was quite good in that. Oh, yes. Uh, but she's been in so many things over the last couple of years. Like, she's just one of these great just go-to actors. But anyway, so she plays uh, the wife of the Jason Bateman character. And she doesn't really have a lot to do in that first episode, but I kind of get the feeling that we're going to see a fair bit more from mm. her. Uh, the other name I want to drop is the guy that's actually written all 10 episodes of this show. It's this guy named Richard Price. Uh, Richard Price is a novelist himself, I believe. Uh, he's got some uh, background writing a few films like Sea of Love and Ransom. But people who are listening... Sea of to- Love with uh, Al Pacino and... Yeah, I'm Ellen, trying to remember. Uh, Ellen Barkin? Ellen Barkin, is that right? Am I, I right I, I want to say that's right. Oof, I hope that's right. Ellen Barkin, yeah. That's a, I remember really enjoying that film. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, other things that he's made, uh, Mad Dog and Glory. Yes. Do you remember that yes, from I a few years back? Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, the Color of Money, he wrote the screenplay for that. Well, he's been around for a long time. He's been around for a long time. Apparently he wrote the screenplay for the 2000 uh, Samuel L. Jackson film Shaft. Excellent. But not every film can be a winner. <laughs> uh, but in terms of things- You've got to have a couple in your, in your yeah. IMDb if you're going to be taken seriously. Uh, but there are things like, say, The Wire, for example. So when David Simon was putting that show together, he got a number of like novelists that he quite respected to come along and be series writers on it. So Richard Price did 10 episodes of that. Wow. But I said earlier that this show reminded me a lot of The Night Of. And that's because he's the guy that created the night. There you go. Are you just learning that right now? I, I, I only just realized <laughs> as I was looking at the IMDb. Wow. Uh, he also wrote a few episodes of David Simon's The Juice as well. So oh, in terms of yeah. like high-end HBO, like he's been a big uh, figure within a lot of that. Excellent. Well, yeah. uh, once again, uh, yes, I'm going to definitely put that on my list of things to check out. But it hasn't even aired in the US, you're saying? It hasn't aired in the US. So I think a lot of critics only got like the screening like today. I noticed a few tweets coming out from people actually aired attending screenings that mm. HBO are putting on. But this is absolutely going to be like the big show everyone's talking about from HBO for the next like month and a half. Awesome. I thought you were doing a big uh, setup to talk about Curb Your Enthusiasm coming back, which would have been pretty funny. No. Uh, can I just give you a little bit of a thing with Curb? As much of a fan as I am of that show, I haven't seen much of that last season. Oh, really? So literally over the next like two to three weeks before the new season starts, I'm going to be watching like a new Curb episode every night <laughs> and just amazing. losing myself in it. You've got to do it because it'll be integral. The this, story development will be integral. I can't even remember what the last season was. I'll have to well, look this up. is the thing. So I love Curb, but I've always thought, well, I'm just going to like hold off on it because it's like a little treat for myself at some point. And it's like with Seinfeld, as much as I love Seinfeld as a show, there's one episode of that I've never seen. Wh- which one? Uh, it's the season nine opener. <laughs> That's the last season. The last season. Yeah. Where they have mustaches. Is that that one? No. Might be where they have mustaches. Maybe they do, because I don't remember where that scene happens, but I've seen that clip. <laughs> but yeah, I've not seen the episode. I think it ends with George going down the street with uh, like driving in a motorized wheelchair. <sighs> But I don't really know for sure. We need to get one of those Seinfeld nerds on here. I know plenty of them. But I've never watched that episode. I've deliberately held off. I got the DVD set and I watched every episode except for that one. Okay. Purely just so that I've still got this one Seinfeld episode I'll one day see. I like that idea, sort of. It's also a bit stupid. Oh, it's crazy. It's the Fatwa season, of course. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, You've got to watch it. Watch it. Yes, yes. I'll watch it with you. I'll do the, we'll do the watch it at the same time because I definitely need to rewatch them all. Yeah, awesome. Um, What's his his name? The writer of uh, Hamilton, Um, the musical. Yeah, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. There you go. He's he's amazing at it. Maybe the best, maybe the best, uh, best real person playing themselves in that show in quite a few years. Okay. So, Chris, I was talking about The Outsider. (sighs) Yes. But, Chris. 
it dawns on me that we've gone in the wrong order here because <laughs> we were deliberately building ourselves up to that Skywalker thing. Yeah, that's all right. Well, no, you talk about the... Let's, I'll ask you again. Dan, I was so interested in what you were talking about with The Outsider. I reckon you might have another great tip for me. What else have you been watching? What people don't realise is that when, when I was talking about The Outsider, Chris literally put on those glasses that have like eyes <laughs> painted on the outside. No, no, it, 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 I didn't that time. I have done it before, but that, was, that actually was, was interesting. Okay, I'm going to talk about three things super quickly. Okay, do it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to first of all talk about John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Hey, Sack Lunch Bunch. John, I thought you had therapy. No, apparently my therapist is out of town for the month. So I get to eat lunch with you. And lunch is the best part of the day. Not for everyone. Some people find mealtime quite difficult, Mulaney. What got into you? Oh, do you have one of those allergies? Because this is chock full of peanuts. I'm sorry. I flew off the handle there. Sorry. It's just, I only like one food, and I think it's going to make my life so hard. Is there another set? Am I paying for this? I hate to make a scene at a restaurant, but there's only one meal that I ever want. Just noodles with butter and not too much, and they have to be the tube kind of I won't touch. Have you seen John Mulaney in the Sack Lunch Bunch? No, I am familiar with John Mulaney, uh, mostly from his work with Nick Kroll. And there's another stand-up special I think he did for Netflix a few years ago that I watched. Um, my take on him is that he is very, very good with Nick Kroll, but maybe I haven't seen him be hilarious on his own yet so much. So, John Mulaney, my experience with him, and this is both from watching the Sack Lunch Bunch, watching his stand-up special, which his stand-up special that I think everyone on the planet has seen by this point is quite funny. I think he's quite good in that. But then I think the John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch probably falls a little bit more in the category of his sitcom Mulaney, which if you ever watched that sitcom, he modeled it very much after Seinfeld. But it's not as good as Seinfeld. I haven't seen it. I didn't. I don't even think I knew about it. No one. No one ever watched this. It was a sitcom for Fox about maybe like four or five years ago now. Right. But he modelled it very much after Seinfeld, and he wanted to do a traditional feeling sitcom. And it suddenly feels like a traditional feeling sitcom, but it's not at the Seinfeld level. It's more at that sort of mid tier Carolyn in a city level. <laughs> right. Oh. And like it's fine. Like the cast were all quite good, and I've seen a lot of the cast and other things since then. And it's just that it's one of these things that didn't really quite gel together. And his aspirational as despite the aspiration on it, he never really quite got to the level of where it is. Sure. I watched John Mulaney in the Sack Lunch Bunch, and it is a great premise for a special, and it's really nicely shot. And all the kids that are in it are also really quite good, but the show doesn't really gel together. So the premise of it is basically John Mulaney plays John Mulaney. And he's TV presenter. He's hosting a show which has, I'm going to say about like nine or ten like kids who are aged between, let's say, like eight and twelve. Sure. So like that sort of tweeny kids. And it's kind of like a bit of a throwback to a lot of those shows from the seventies. So something like say maybe the Electric Company, and I'm going to say Sesame Street, but it's not really quite Sesame Street because the kids are a bit older. And it's yeah, uh, yeah. But it's one of these things where all these kids are all super talented. They're all high, uh, like multi hyphenates in that they can act, they can sing, they can do magic, whatever their chosen you know um, skills are. Precocious little brats. Highly precocious. You know these kids do the darndest things, Chris. <laughs> 
but yeah, so we're watching this and, you know, he'll sort of introduce a segment and then there'll be a segment with the kid as they're going off performing some sort of song about that as a concept. And it's like a little music video with them, but it's like a performance where they're on stage. And we've seen it's kind of like when you're watching Young Talent Time back in the day. Yes, right. Actually, Young Talent Time is probably the perfect <laughs> example here. Right. So he's playing the Johnny Young for this. And yes. I apologize for people not in Australia who have no idea <laughs> about the horrors of Young Talent Time. But yes. that's what it is. So you've got this, and I think everyone's great. And some of the jokes, like, are hilarious jokes. The thing is that you go from hilarious jokes to, oh, here's a funny idea for, like, a song and a performance that this young child's doing. But then there's just all these moments which aren't funny. Hmm. And so it just takes too long to get between the funny, sort of clever introductions. Because when they introduce the idea, you're like, hey, look, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this. But then after about 10, 15 seconds, it's like, well, this bit's still going. And <laughs> right. just get a bit bored with it. And it was enough to keep me entertained for the 55 minutes or whatever this runs for. Might even be like 65. But I wouldn't want much more of that. And I was watching it with my wife who, by the end of it, she's like, I never really want to watch that again. (laughs) And I totally understand because there was just so much silence taking place within it where it wasn't silence because you're going, oh my God, this performance is amazing. But really it's like, when does this performance end? You're just sort of waiting for the bits to start. It's too much waiting. I know that stuff. Okay, so John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Perfectly cool idea for a show. Doesn't quite nail the execution as far as I'm concerned. And if I want to see the exact same format effectively, I'd look maybe back to the show from the late 2000s. Uh, you know where I'm heading with this? <laughs> I think so. Wondershausen. Now, you've seen this, Chris? <laughs> yes, I've seen that. Wondershausen is, I, I don't want to use any hyperbole, but it's definitely probably the funniest TV show that's ever been created. <laughs> yes. So, no one's seen Wondershausen, so I'm surprised that you're across it. Yeah. Uh, but it's just one of these things where it was kind of an actual deliberate sort of throwback to the electric company which was a show that was from Children's Television Workshop, and it was meant to be for kids who were a bit older than Sesame Street level. So it's kind of reaching that age yeah. of these uh, John Wayne and the Sack Lunch Bunch kids. But it's just like short little segments where there'll be one segment where you hear like the narration of how sausages are made, and you'll see like some very sort of grainy footage from the 70s of sausages going down conveyor belts and stuff. But the narration from the little kid over the top will be talking about the realities of the horrors of, (laughs) you know, the cows being mutilated to get the meat and whatnot. And it's always like they nailed every single joke on that show. Every joke. No joke fails on that program. I remember that um, my favorite segment was Beat Kids, which was Kids on the Beat, which was, yeah. Kids on the Beat. Kids on the Beat. Beat Kids. Kids. kids with the microphone going up and they had a little earpiece that was obviously feeding them funny things. Yeah. Um, the best joke of which was the guy where he's at the um, racetrack and he's interviewing a guy and he says, hey, can I do an impression of you? And gamble, 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 die. <laughs> it was very, very good. I saw a clip of it just the other day. It was someone on Wall Street and, and it was the kid asking a Wall Street oh, yeah, person. I, I shared that video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who have you exploited today? It was very, very good. <laughs> but what's great is that guy, he like goes with her and he's like, oh, well, I've <laughs> exploited a number of people today. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. He gets it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was very good at doing that kind of, like it, it took itself... You know, it 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 um it actually used it to sort of be a bit subversive. It used that platform idea to be subversive and to mm. try and like um, do some things that were a little outrageous, I guess. Which John Mulaney is probably not doing quite so much. Yeah. So, uh, Wonder Shazam was created for Adult Swim. Oh uh, yes. And I've often thought, and this may become a reality when HBO Max launches this year sometime. If this show made it onto a streaming platform, I think people are actually going to discover it. And yes. Wonder Shazam <laughs> could actually be. Oh, let's have a Wonder Shazam comeback. That'd be great. Nothing's dated about it. No, it was very, um, yes, it, yes. Oh, obviously, from watching that clip recently, which is the first time I'd seen it in years, was still very, very, very funny. Yeah. So I'd like to see more of it. 
Every morning when I wake up, I wash my hands. Then I have some food, and then I wash my hands. Then I take a shower, wash my hands, and then wash my hands. And then Mommy tells me my hands are clean. And then I wash and wash and wash my hands. Then I touch a football, and I wash and wash and wash and wash. And I watch my sister washing her hands, and I get an idea to wash my hands. And I wash and wash and wash, but I never get clean. The shame never seems to scrub off. There you go. I hope people are listening to you, Dan. Yeah, so my recommendation is get on YouTube and watch Wondershows and Clips <laughs> and just tell people you watched John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch and you thought it was great. Yeah, why not? I wanted to do, do two quick lines on two other shows do I watched it. recently. The Gloaming, which is a new Australian production that's on Stan. You've told me about this and I've looked into it and I'm looking forward to seeing it. it it's really quite good. I've seen the first couple of episodes and I need to sit down and just like belt through this thing. It's all on Stan now? It's all on Stan. I think it's eight episodes, six or eight episodes, something like that. Maybe even ten. That can't be that many. That's crazy. So this is a show that Stan, had, an Australian, Australian production, production that Stan have paid for. That's uh, very ma- good. Made in conjunction with ABC from the US. Oh, yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, this is a show from Vicky Madden. She's the creator that did uh, the Kettering Incident, which was one of my favorite Australian shows from a few years ago. Yes. Uh, this was the Kettering Incident, much like the Gloaming. Uh, it's a really dark, sort of moody uh, Tasmanian murder mystery. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it because the great thing with this is that you're sort of absorbing just the general mood of Tasmania. I will say that I probably prefer Kettering over what I've seen with the gloaming and it's purely because the cinematography with Kettering, I just thought really just nailed like that really sort of cold, wet, damp feeling of Hobart in a way that this show is definitely cold, wet and damp. It just doesn't quite feel as damp as Kettering did. <laughs> That's the weirdest criticism anyone weird. ever made about a show. When you think about Australian shows, like it's always about like the sunburns sort of desert, and it, it's always that story. Whereas Tasmanian noir, which is what Vicky Madden seems to be specialising in, like they're just these stories where you're seeing part of Australia that you never really see explored ever. Mm. And I, I just kind of think that the cinematography of Kettering just completely nailed it, and everything after that just won't quite reach that level, just because it was just at that. You know. I hear you. I was, hear you. Was that the upper echelons of damp? <laughs> okay, that's excellent. Gloaming on Stan. That's on Stan. That's so a thumbs watch... up from Dan. Yep, so big thumbs up for that one. And the other thing was I saw the movie The Two Popes. Oh, right. That's is, a Netflix movie. It's a Netflix film. It's one of the films that was nominated for the Best Picture at the Golden Globes, for whatever that's worth. Uh, this is a show, literally... Well, a show. A movie. It's a show because it's on Netflix. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Whatever. This TV movie. Who cares? Essentially, it's the two popes that were running to become pope when uh, Pope John Paul II died back in whatever year that was. 90-something? No? I want to say it's like late 90s, but it was like early 2000s, oh, I'm was sure. It? Yeah, Mid-2000s, right. possibly. I'm not even sure. Uh, the pope, and I can never remember their actual names because they take on a different name when they become the pope. It's not important. But the pope that became Pope Benedict uh, ends up winning out, and so he's the pope for a few years until he decides he's going to step down. And then the Pope that he was running up against to become the Pope, uh, that guy ended up taking over and he's the current Pope. Mm. So it's an interesting show. Uh, it's an interesting film. We've got, it, it takes place over a time period where Benedict is thinking about stepping down. And so he's talking about talking to this guy over a series of uh, like meetings. They do little walk and talks like through the garden. Mm-hmm. And it's a discussion about uh, where they've come from as people, uh, what their beliefs are in terms of the future of the church and like where religion sits in their lives. And it's a really sort of interesting sort of talky film from two people who have a incredible, incredibly powerful position within the world. Yes. 
And while that's all very good and well, also, while I'm watching this, it's like, well, everything you're trying to achieve in a film is interesting, but the reality is that the church has failed a lot of its um, congregation uh, for generations now mm. uh, with, like, I don't even need to say what it is. Like, everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knows. And so, essentially, what you're seeing is, and the way this is structured, you're seeing Benedict, who is a man who sees himself as a failed pope, that he wasn't able to bring the change and reforms to the church that he's been trying, that he had envisioned oh, yeah, initially. Right. And so, he thinks that this other guy can do it. And as far as the film's concerned, it leaves it a bit open-ended, as though this guy maybe has come in and done that. But he hasn't. If no, anything, I, <laughs> it's just as bad as Under Benedict, if not maybe even worse to a certain yeah. degree. And maybe only worse because a lot of the nasty stories from like the last 15, 20 years are yeah. really coming out over the last few years to be known while this guy's papacy has been underway. But just watching this, like it builds him up as being the hero that the church needs. But at the same time, it's like, well, he's a fallen hero, but the film doesn't ever reflect that. Yeah. So it feels like it's a bit of a failed effort. And maybe if you're a bit more in touch with what's going on, uh, in ter- like if you subscribe to a Pope Watch newsletter, yes. you're probably a little bit more across <laughs> this than I am as casual observer. But I don't know. I was left really cold by something that I think could have been quite powerful. I know that there was a lot of hope over the new Pope when he was that he was going to be the good Pope and that he was going to bring a lot of change. But I don't. Yes, I'm not sure how much of that change has actually come in. But you're right. We're not. We're far from uh, experts on it. Yeah, and I mean the other thing as well is that religion in across the world, like at least as far as like Catholicism is concerned, are you finding in places like Ireland, which were like the stronghold of Catholicism? Like, you're finding even there, like, you know, laws regarding, like, abortion are passing now. And just these things that were, like, traditionally just, like, no-goes for Catholicism. Like, it seems as though, like, people are just kind of not necessarily as religious as they once were. And this is happening during the reign of these two popes specifically. But the film never really addresses any of that. Mm. And I don't know. I just know that there's all these things happening as far as Catholicism is concerned that just isn't being addressed by this film. And I don't know if it's the film's responsibility that has to touch on everything. But no other films are really about two popes who have actually been in charge of all this during all <laughs> yeah, this time. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's an interesting film. I think people should watch it, but I don't know if it's really worth the acclaim that it's gotten. Um, I've been to the Vatican, Dan. Did you know Really? That? Yeah. Uh, did you see Scarlett Johansson when you were there? She wasn't there, but the... Disappointing. I did see the Pope. No, I didn't really. But uh, How did, did he look? We did get to ride in what I assume was the Pope's private elevator to get into the Sistine Chapel, because it was very, very fancy. And were, were you trying to find a bathroom? So it, got very, one? it got very crowded, and we had a young child, and we were ushered by a very uh, nice security priest <laughs> who took us in fancy uh, and, the, and yes but anyway that's just me being a joke again the Sistine Chapel was very impressive I've heard I've heard some good things <laughs> if nothing else the, the, the plundering of many nations and the has, has and the you know the donations of a, a million a billion people over the you time hear, you hear so much about the Sistine Chapel but no one ever talks about the roof no no how is it well the ceiling's good the roof on top man it's pretty much just a roof okay um the two popes alright I'm gonna watch it and that's streaming on Netflix at the moment um, I see. I, I, when people were talking about, it, I was thinking about what was that show? There was a show about with where Jude. Uh, You're talking about the young pope. The young pope. I've, I watched a little bit of that. That was all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. And the follow up series to it, which is called the New Pope, mm. uh, starts in a few weeks as well. Oh, there you go. So it was relevant that I mentioned that. Thing. Yeah. Uh, so the New Pope will be one John Malkovich. Uh-huh. Hmm. I, I hope that's not a spoiler. Uh, no. <laughs> I can um, give you a spoiler. No, I'm yeah, not no, say that. don't do it. Uh, as if I care anyway. But yes, uh, John Malkovich, he's great. I'll probably watch it just because of that. So, Chris, shall we go from one religion, being Catholicism, to another religion, which is the Jedi religion? Yeah, let's do it. Let's. Uh, we, we, we're, 
Let's let's talk as much as or Chris, as little as we can about Chris Gates. Let's do this in like synchronicity. I'm whacking my okay. head on the microphone. Chris, what have you been watching? Damn, what have you been watching? We've been watching Star, Star Wars, Wars. Skywalker, Skywalker Rising, Rising. Oh, New Skywalker. Yay! Okay, Chris. People listening to this podcast in the couple of weeks leading up to the Rise of Skywalker would know you and I pretty excited by it. Pretty excited indeed. Now, I don't know if I've actually talked. We, to you I don't in think we have talked this. about it yet. We've sent a few pithy messages. Yeah, um, um, I will say I thought it was terrible. What did you think? <laughs> uh, I was watching it with my partner. And um, I groaned, I think, three minutes into it. And she said, look, if that's going to be your fucking attitude, we can can leave right now. And I said, look, fair enough. We've come here to have fun. I'm going to try and leave my brain behind somewhere. And I'm going to enjoy it. And now, was she there willingly, or did you take? No, she's willingly. We've been. We've okay. watched the last. We've watched all the new ones together. Yeah. Um, not. She's obviously not as big a fan, but because uh, she didn't really strike me as being into <laughs> she's it. Not a massively massive yeah. Star Wars fan, but she could surprise. Like you know, it's a very rare occasion that we get to go to the movies. She certainly didn't want to spend it with me sitting next to her going for, yeah, exactly. for the entire film. So I heed. I took heed of to that very early warning, and and um, and it actually look. I think it really helped me enjoy it. I think you know. I described it the best way. I described it was to a non I think the best way I described it was to a non sort of Star Wars mate we had who was a very big movie fan who was like oh, should I go see it and I was like well it's a it's a big giant mess where they're trying to like you know they're trying to they've, they've tried to tie up this ridiculous story that never really made any sense anyway they've tried to um, inc- incorporate aspects of the prequels because realistically it's never been one giant story no it really hasn't like it's not like a linear kind of story that makes any sense really like no. it's been they try to make it as such like they try that, to thread a weave of narrative weave a thread of narrative through it but like there is a generational tale taking place but it's not really yeah, a clean story like that no and um, so I think like you know he had a lot, he being, you know, JJ, had a lot to do to try to kind of pull it all together and to not piss everybody off and to try and make Disney another billion dollars, I guess, most importantly. But, um, and, you know, for what it's worth, it's kind of fun. I think I've been really looking forward to seeing it a second time. Everyone I've t- spoken to who said it a second time said they enjoyed it more the second time. So I'll say I've seen it twice. Yes. The first time was under the perfect conditions to see it, which is I went to the midnight screening. Yep. And I went to the midnight screening after driving for 13 hours to Brisbane. <laughs> yeah, so maybe not. Maybe you weren't in the exact frame of mind to so, yeah, let when, go. When I started watching it, I was definitely, like, midway through the film, I was hitting 24 hours of being awake at the time. <laughs> yeah. So, the perfect conditions yeah, to see yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Um, I did see it a few days later, and I thought it was quite a bit better than I'd initially thought. Even so, it's still a terrible movie. <laughs> I think the gut punch of, like, just the ridiculous premise of which they're giving you right at the beginning to sort of go, like, all right, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're pretending is happening, people, or whatever. And, okay, here's the thing that I don't get. So, when you're watching a, a whole lot of it feels like problem solving. So, mm. clearly, they've had conversations with Kathleen Kennedy, and mm-hmm. the buck stops with her because she's the producer of all of these movies. Mm-hmm. So, she's the one that hires everyone. She's the one that says, I want the films to focus on this kind of thing. Like, it's it's her. It's her fault. Uh, apparently, the reason, or the, the, des- the decision to have Palpatine as the villain of it came from her. Okay. Okay, so when you're hired as a script writer, so Chris Terrio is the guy that's copying a lot of the heat for the film not necessarily working, because he's the script writer that worked with J.J. Abrams to okay. bring his life, and he just came off working off the Justice League movie, which had similar problems of a director... Uh, who people didn't really necessarily like so much and a film that didn't really work so well and they fired the original director and brought in Joss Whedon and, yeah. you know, it's just this whole thing. So, it, it was a mess of a movie where you could tell that Chris Terrio had done a fair bit of problem solving to, you know, sure. make sure that people's visions are being realised. 
And if you're like an everyday person, you look at it going, oh, well, that's the person that wrote the movie, that's the person that directed the movie, they're just working off the script that the writer has written. Because that's what you'd assume, because they're listed there as the writer. Sure. That's not really how it works, though. Yeah. What happens is that the writer will come in, there'll be like a number of things saying, we want the films to do this, this, and this. The writer will then try to problem solve and make sure that, <laughs> yes, that happens. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's so obvious yeah. that that's what was going on, really. And like, it's like really obvious with this because there were so many things that they kind of had to there get There were so the- many excuses that they actually make yeah. in the dialogue for where things are going. So here's the thing. I looked at this and there was obviously the desire to have Palpatine. And I get that because he was the villain through... I can say episodes one through three, and then four to six. Like Darth Vader's the villain, but the real villain's really Palpatine. Yeah. So if you want to come to a conclusion on it all, like Palpatine probably needs to figure in. Mm. But I sat there through the whole thing, and I'm like, well, I understand why you want Palpatine to be the bad guy. But if you wanted that, you probably needed to introduce him into like either of the previous two movies yes. as actually being a presence. Because when they just like say. Emperor Palpatine is alive, <laughs> and somehow he's magically conjured up like hundreds of star destroyers, which <laughs> made no sense. There is a line that's given, but effectively, it doesn't really make enough sense. No. Okay, so, like, they've done that, and it's like, well, you haven't done the groundwork to actually get to this point. So, already you've kind of lost most of the audience, I think, with this. But if you wanted to bring Palpatine in, it's actually quite easy, where you've got this character, the Ben Solo character, who grows up idolizing Darth Vader as, like, a concept. And then through the second film, The Last Jedi, you see him sort of rebel against that Vader uh, thing, and essentially wants to fight with his friend Rey. Yeah. Like, he saves Ray, and, you know, there's kind of that sort of bond there. Maybe at that point, he's looking around, just going, well, you know, worshipping Darth Vader wasn't really right, because the real power center was with Palpatine, because he's been corrupted by the dark side. So, if he's been corrupted like that, shouldn't he be trying to get, like, the ultimate power, which is Palpatine? And maybe it should be about Ben Solo, who's been corrupted by the dark side already, and trying to become more like Palpatine. And that way, you bring your Palpatine in without having to actually have the character of... <laughs> apparently his name is Sheev, which was yeah. never mentioned previously. But Sheev Palpatine, he doesn't need to be there. You've got a character that's already just trying to emulate I him. I believe and just, that was mentioned not. in the prequels. I don't think it was. Really? I'm not know. so sure. I don't know. I'm no prequel. I, I watched those prequels recently, and I'm <laughs> sure I've never heard the name Sheev before. <laughs> I've like watched them once, 10 years ago. There might have been a book somewhere that mentioned Sheev. Right, the old books. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, look, there was... I, I think... You know, but like it just—it felt like all the problem solving was essentially creating sort of lavish sort of solutions to a problem, which didn't really incorporate the things that we'd seen in the previous two films. No, and it kind of took up space where there could have been a new film. You know, like it kind of just spent yeah. all this time just undoing all that, all tying up everything, which I guess it had to to a degree. But um, yeah, ultimately, I'm you know, ultimately I'll watch it again. It's another you know. Look, here's the thing, if you want it to be a new film as well, like, part of the problem with the film is that it's like, she discovers that Palpatine's like her grandfather. And it's like, well, whatever, that kind of always felt a bit iffy. But if your entire story is about, say, Ben, who's like looking to be more like Palpatine and discovers that the other prominent Jedi and the thing is actually like of his lineage, then that actually creates a reason why we've seen these three films and... This pathways and like there was all this problem solving they could have come up with some elegant solutions for, but it does feel like there was just this overall sort of hand trying to guide it towards something that just felt a little bit more, you know, here's the iconic villain. It has to be that specific iconic villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, that's the problem with these films where you just got this big problem they're trying to problem solve towards. Yeah, and just making more problems for yourself as you get to that. Uh, I thought the most hilarious uh, part was the. Um 
uh, I can't, I can never remember the actor's name, but I can't remember any actor's names. Um, where you know Rose Harrison Ford. <laughs> Rose says, Rose says, oh, basically they don't want me in this movie. They just want me to pretend I'm looking at a computer and we're doing some research. And it was just like, oh my god, I couldn't believe how bad that was. Like I just sort of thought, at least, like just don't even. You know, you would have done. Uh, you're doing that character and that actor more of a disservice by giving them that terrible line than just s- leaving them in the background, which I felt like would have been better. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think her name's Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah, is that, that right? Sounds, that sounds very right. Yeah, um, and but yeah, I felt bad for her through it because oh, she's got God. sidelined so terribly. And like, yeah, and certainly not through any of her own, not not through fault of her performance in Last Jedi, which was actually really good, despite the kind of. The, the mess of that subplot that I've always I've gone on about too, too much already, um, you know the, there was the, the, there was there was cool stuff that never really happened like the um I, I, it's been really fun reading a lot of the stuff now that they're all out of contract or whatever and can say what they want like I really enjoyed the <laughs> you know the the, uh, the the love affair between Poe and Finn which is all but happens except for like it doesn't you know they they kind of like then in the last minute pretend that um, pretend that Poe is you know, flirting with a woman, which just doesn't, isn't believable at all, considering how... You know, considering he's clearly been a gay man for the previous two films. He clearly is in love with Finn. Um, and, you know, there was, there's, been, there's been some fun stuff like that. So it's like, it's kind of interesting the way that there'll, there'll be a lot of that sort of stuff to, to obsess over in the future. And there's certainly a lot of things in it to think about. My favourite moment in the films is... And I'm not even... Like, I don't even know if he's alive at this point. I... <laughs> Well, okay, here's, here's one of the things that I thought was just, like, bonkers stupid, okay, which is that when Rey sort of enters that temple at the end where the Emperor is, like, hanging out, and there's all these people in the crowds watching, like, it's an MMA sort of, you know, battle match <laughs> yeah, at that same yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who are those people? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that- were they Sith? I think they were all the, like, weird Sith people that live in the weird Sith dimension that... Uh, <sighs> that bit, yeah. I, I've never been confused by a Star Wars film before. <laughs> pretty simple movies, usually. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, once you get your head around the taxation in the... In the exactly. You know, the, the, how the Senate's set up in the prequels, yeah. And after watching those films recently, they're not actually that confusing. No, I know. It's really quite it, simple. Compared to, uh, compared to the space, uh, <laughs> you know, compared to the very simple space plot of the uh, yeah. original trilogy, it was ridiculous at the time. But there is a fun moment where Adam Driver ends up rocking up and he's been redeemed is, you know, trying to you know fight the good fight. And he's Ben Solo fighting for the first time because he's just been redeemed by Harrison Ford. Yes. He's turned up playing a character that I think was called Harrison Ford. <laughs> and not Han Solo. Was it actually Han Solo? It was Harrison no, it's the just, ghost of Harrison Ford. Exactly. R.I.P. Harrison Ford. <laughs> but yeah, Ben Solo turns up and he does like some Jedi stuff. And there's this great moment where he kind of gives like a Han Solo style shrug. Before he starts, like, taking down all the Jedi. And that's hugely fun. And it's, like, the most fun that I think I had in all three films. <laughs> just this single moment of him just going, eh? yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was Wild great. fun. I mean, he's amazing. Adam Driver's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and so much to like about that. And I guess, again, that's sort of... It makes you kind of go, oh, what a wasted opportunity to actually... Well, it was. Because Adam Driver... Raise him to... Super serious actor and wants to do serious roles. If he's going to be in a Star Wars movie, at least give him some time to actually be a fun presence in there. Yeah. Like, we actually got for maybe about 90 seconds of screen time, Adam Driver, just, like, shameless, like, movie hero. And he was super fun watching it. Like, yeah. Like, just give him half an hour of doing that. Just give us a little bit more than what we had. For- 
I also really liked the um, uh, Imperial spy, the 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 guy who was um, the you know the bad guy for the oh, whole yeah. thing, and then revealed himself to be. I thought he was a very funny character. In he's in uh, Last Jedi as well. Yeah, right? he's he's also in the Force Awakens. Is he? Uh, Domhnall Gleeson. He's actor. fantastic. Yeah. So I really, I mean, that was a fun little thing. What's but the character's just, name? Like General Huck. I can't remember. I'm saying that's right. But it happened just like even that. Like this was another really great kind of cool, funny, excellent moment where you got to like actually like this guy that you've be- that has been incredibly likable as a villain, and that all just happened so fast. It was like uh, you didn't even really get a chance to sort of savor that and go like it was just like all oh, right. It was exactly what you say. It was problem solving. It was like oh, that's how we're going to explain that is by. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I liked it, Dan. I'm going to go with I like it. I like it more than The Last Jedi. I'm going to say that right now. And that's it. I'm going to say it's the third worst Star Wars movie. <laughs> well, I think that puts it, if I put it above Last Jedi, I think it becomes about the sixth. Yeah, it's my sixth favorite. You're a sick man. We could take that up later. Anyway, nobody really cares what we think about uh, the rise of Skywalker. Everybody's talked a lot about it already. And well, well, everybody's already stopped listening to the podcast. People are watching the two poops. They sure are. Um, I think it's time to wrap it up, Dan. Yeah, it probably is. Chris, if you like this podcast, and I know that you do. I love it. Leave a review. I've never done that. Should I do that? Uh, it's always a bit weird. Is it weird reviewing yeah. your own thing? I'll Someone be- told me to do that for their podcast the other day, and I'm like, I, I've got no idea how to do that. Uh, well, well, it depends uh, Do I need to lift? Yeah, because I listen on, like, I guess I listen on Spotify. You can't really review on Spotify, no, can I'm you? I'm not sure you can, no. Oh, well, there you go. How, what, it, how would I review it if I listened to it on iTunes? Look, here's the other thing as well. Does well, iTunes if, still exist? No. Well, it's not iTunes, but it's Apple Podcasts. If you load up your Apple Podcasts app, you can just log in and leave a review. It's quite easy there. But I'll also say that as of this week or maybe last week, Spotify is actually the number one platform in the world as far as podcast consumption is mm, concerned. There you go. So I'm going to say this, and catch me if I say leave a review anymore, because let's not even say that. If you like this podcast, go to your podcast app player, whatever you've got there, You've probably got a share button. Share ah, it to your share, social network yes. and just let your friends know, hey, look, this is a fun podcast I listen to. If you like TV, give this a listen. Excellent. I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I share it every week, Chris. Oh, yes, I know. And, I, and yeah. that reminds me to listen to it sometimes. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe I should listen back and see how much of an idiot I sound like. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Chris, do that. Also, newsletter, alwaysbewatching.com. You can go there, subscribe to the newsletter. It's a bunch of TV stories about like what's going on in the screen world. Mm-hmm. So I just started talking without it really thinking about what <laughs> I was saying. Uh, a whole bunch of stories about TV and movies. It's an excellent newsletter, stuff. dude. Uh, this morning, this obviously it won't be this morning when you listen to this podcast, because I won't put this out tonight. Uh, you're probably not listening to it tonight. This is getting confusing. <laughs> uh, but during the week, I had a look at the new streaming service from the US called Quibi. I saw your little write-up about Quibi. Yeah, it'll explain what a Quibi is, mm. uh, why it's kind of cool, and also why it's a bit dumb. Mm. But anyway, if you're looking for yet another streaming service in your life, give this a look. It'll, you know, it'll be interesting. I'm switching off Disney Plus for a while. Got to go yeah. back to Stan for a bit. It's good stuff on Stan. This is the new, th- this is the new way. This is the way now, isn't it? We yeah, I think pick, so. We'll pick ones when we want to. Well, not you, because you just have all of them in the yeah, world. Yeah, that's right. But I think that's what I'm going to do for a bit. Yeah. yeah. That's not interesting to anyone but me, oh, but no. anyway. Someone would be listening to that going, I do that as well. I do that too. Anyway. Eric, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. It's been great to see you again in person, and it's been great to talk about things. Likewise. It has been good talking to you in real life, and not just on our Facebook group, and also our new Reddit group, Mm. which you can find both at Always Be Watching. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, folks, we're getting out of here. See you next week.